So if we walk around excluding everybody and putting them again, as you said, into those little compartments or silos, how are we ever actually fixing a problem? Instead of taking communities and putting them together and creating allies, every single movement that's ever happened in the history of our world has been successful because of the creation of allies. And that is what my vision is. That's philanthropist, social entrepreneur, occasional hellraiser, and founder of the Tandem Project, Jan Ditchfield. This week's guest on episode 91 of the Unplugged Podcast. Hello and welcome to another transformative week in a new year, a new year of the Unplug podcast. Yes, this is the place where we unplug from status quo and shift the paradigm from head to heart by co-creating a more passionate, compassionate, loving, and interconnected world. And yes, this is the audio space where you will hear powerful conversations with the courageous truth seekers and free thinkers of today's rapidly changing world. And my name is Debo Zarco, warrior of truth, status quo crusher, and passionate lover of life, here to welcome you to your almost weekly dose of authentic expression, truth, critical thought, provoking words, and open-hearted inspiration from my paradigm-busting headquarters in beautiful, coastal British Columbia, Canada. Yes, it's beautiful here. We've actually had a little bit of snow for the first time in two years, and Unfortunately, it's just a little dusting. It's a little dusting on, you know, at, at sea level, but up in the mountains, wow, it is gorgeous. Like stunningly gorgeous. Snow-peaked mountains surrounded by the ocean. Woo, it is gorgeous out here. And uh, I hope that every single one of you out there listening had an amazing holiday season and that 2016 is is kicking off to be an amazing one for you. You know, my personal thoughts and my, my feelings for 2016 is that this is going to be a year for massive acceleration. I mean, massive acceleration. If you think that you can already barely hold on to your hat over the last few years with, with the way things seem to be ramping up, I think it's going to be near impossible this year. And I can tell you, if my life is any testament to this, I can vouch for the fact that it's already happening. Like over the holidays, both my partner, Deb Gleason and I, both we both pre-released our first books, which is really exciting and it's it's terrifying. It actually brings up a whole crap load of emotions that <laughs> I certainly wasn't expecting. But hey, when that stuff is in my face, then it means that I have to deal with it. And it just means, hey, I'm going to be better. But so it's been exciting, it's been terrifying, and it's been really awesome all at the same time. And while all of this has been unfolding... I've been getting book number two ready as I speak to you right now. It's uh, through three quarters of the way through. So it's uh, it's going to be a bigger, more in-depth revised edition of the Status Quo Crusher Revolution. And it's going to be available on February 1st. And I've just had so much inspiration lately that I knew that I had to expand on that book. And if that's not enough, we both took a leap of faith on New Year's Eve and we gave notice to our landlord that we're going to be moving to Vancouver Island for February 1st. So obviously that's a pivotal day uh, in the life of the double Debs because that's going to be, you know, when 
Version two, edition two of the status quo crusher revolution is going to be out in a much more expanded version. So I really, it's technically it's version one. We'll call it version one. Um, so that's coming out on February 1st and we're going to be moving. We're going to be living in a whole new place. I mean, I've lived on Vancouver Island before. I've, but I've never lived in the area that we're, we're looking at. And I'm not going to say any more until we know that we're actually going to be, <laughs> living there. So, you know, this, what's happened is that an opportunity has presented itself that we just couldn't say no to. So we've decided that we're going to move. And uh, like I said, we don't really know exactly where the move is going to take us just yet, but I do know that it's still going to be in coastal British Columbia because it's going to be on Vancouver Island. So uh, the, the opportunity has been presented to Deb and it's going to be in Victoria. We know we don't want to live there. We want to live outside of Victoria. So mm, we're looking at the Cowichan Valley. I'll just tell you that that much. And uh, another beautiful place. Yeah, another beautiful place. Well, geez, you know, British Columbia, it's a beautiful province. And as a matter of fact, when this podcast is released, we're actually going to be on the island scouting around for our new digs for ourselves and for our furry family. So if you're willing to send some positive house finding juju our way, we'll graciously, graciously accept it. So there's lots going on as we both work our buns off to get our books into the hands of as many readers as possible. And I've actually sent out a few copies to advanced readers and the feedback so far has been really humbling. And uh, as a matter of fact, last week I actually got a note from a person who is pre-reading my book, who I deeply admire. And quite frankly, I was actually a wee bit intimidated. Uh, I was intimidated by her because... She's a best-selling author herself. So, um, yeah, I was, anyway, my, my weenie self was wondering if I would measure up. But I sent it to her anyways because I didn't want weenie to interfere with her feedback, which means a lot to me. And she actually sent me a really short note in her very focused, busy schedule, and it read, this is bestseller material. Needless to say, I'm feeling even more excited and quite humbled by this, but I'm feeling very excited about the release of Unplug the Book, and I would be deeply grateful if you could help make it the bestseller that she believes it is. This is where I need your help. So I've worked my ass off to write to the best of my ability. I have a mentor who I totally, totally trust and believe in, who thinks it's bestseller material. So I guess it's just got to sell now. (laughs) And that's where you come in. So my reason for making a bestseller list on Amazon, if you know, like that's, I guess every author dreams of that, but that's not really what I think about. What I think about is just getting this book into as many hands as possible because the message is so powerful. So I guess my reason for making a bestseller list would be for one thing only, and that's just a more compassionate world. Because I know that the more people who read and are transformed by this book, the closer we get to the more beautiful world I still believe is possible. And that's what happens with anything that's a powerful message. You know, it transforms us. And I know how powerful this book is. I also know that it's a game changer because I care so deeply about this planet and about life that how could it be anything else? You know, it just, it it can't be like when, when we put our hearts into something, it's bound to create transformation. 
So there's my plug for a worthwhile investment. And, you know, I'm like most people, it's hard for me to talk about this because <laughs> it's my work, you know, and, you know, I want everybody else to talk about it because it's just easier and then I don't have to, you know, toot my own horn. But um, it, it really is a really, really awesome book. So you can get it on Amazon, on Kobo, on iBooks. And um, oh yeah, and one more cool thing, my advanced printed copy has been shipped for proofing. And once it's proofed and a-okay, the print version is also going to be available for those of you who prefer, who prefer the, the classic tactile form of reading. And I'm one of them. I like e-readers. They're great, especially since my eyes are starting to... I don't even want to admit it, but since my eyes are starting to get a little bit weary and I now need to read with readers, ah, so it makes reading books a little more challenging. So the e-reader is kind of nice for, for eyes that are a little bit, you know, a little, ugh, I'll blurt it out, older. So, but then again, it's so nice to not have to look at a screen all the time. So I'm, I'm willing to read the with the book with the readers just because I love books. But anyway, there you go. You've got your choice. The, uh, the, the, the Kindle slash digital version is available right now for pre-order. And as soon as I have proofed the printed copy, it'll be up there and ready to go as well. So onto the show. This week, I am pleased to share a powerful conversation with my friend Jan Ditchfield, who is the founder of the Tandem Project which is an organization that she created in 2009 under the name One With One. And it was founded to support people who are blind to realize their dreams as athletes in the sport of triathlon. But the Tandem Project is about so much more than triathlon. It's about healing, empowerment, community, compassion, and caring. And Jan and I first met when she was working at another organization while running the Tandem Project as a volunteer. And she is now working full-time with the Tandem, Pro Tandem Project. And that just happened recently with an amazing grant that just came in that finally allows her to fully realize her dream. And uh, when she was working at this other organization, we collaborated on a large-scale graphic design project, which meant that we get to know each other quite well during the process. Because for me, graphic design is, is not just a job, it's a relationship. It's well, everything that I do is about relationships. So I always take things so much deeper because I want to get to know the essence of, of everything, of people, and of their message as well. So when I do graphic design work, I want to get to the essence of the person because it means that I get to the essence of their message. So Jan and I got to know each other quite well. And she's one of these people who wears her passion openly. So needless to say, she and I really clicked. And when she told me about the Tandem Project, I was really, really excited. And I invited her to join me for a future podcast. She didn't know that I did a podcast. At that point, she thought I was a graphic designer, which I am. <laughs> I'm a lot of things. So it was kind of cool that I got to talk to her about my, you know, my, my life work and the fact that the, the graphic design just, uh, it's what feeds me. It feeds the family. It feeds my creative vision and my creative outlet. Uh, and it also helps me do this work because, hey, 
it keeps me in my creative self. So anyway, I knew that Jan's message was totally in alignment with the Unplugged mission. And that's to expand consciousness, inspire critical thought, passion, and compassion, and to demolish the outdated selfish paradigm of status quo. And this podcast delivers. Jan's passion for a world where labels no longer define who we are is palpable. You will hear it all throughout this conversation. And I am really eager to bring her powerful message to you this week. So grab your earbuds and enjoy the passion-driven world of Jen Ditchfield. Jan, I'm really excited to have you on the show today. You and I have been collaborating on various projects over the last little while, graphic design projects, but we've also gotten to know a little bit about each other on a personal level. And when I found out that you have this really, really empowering and wonderful organization that is, uh, I'm going to use that word empowering again, that is empowering people to hmm, live bigger. And I'm just going to leave it at that because you're the one who's going to be doing all the talking about that. I knew that I need to have, I really had to have you on this show. And you and I have had some really great conversations since then about your vision, your heart, your soul, how this is expanding into something more. And I'm just really excited that we finally carved out the time to, to connect and record this show and inspire listeners with you, your essence, your essence and who you are in the world, how you're showing up, and how you're helping so many others. So welcome. Thank you. I'm very honored to be here. So this is exciting to sit down and talk to you about this in more detail. So it's not that we haven't already talked about it a lot, but yes. <laughs> well, today we're going to go deeper. So let's set things up for um, for listeners because I know a little. I know quite a bit about what you do being your graphic designers, <laughs> one of your graphic designers, helping you out with this and really learning about your vision. And also I'm just, I'm like so voraciously curious about people. I really love to get to the heart and the essence of people. And I feel like I know quite a bit about your essence, but now we get to go even deeper. So let's set things up by, let, yeah, let's start things off by talking about your organization, One With One, how it came about, and what your vision is, and then we're just going to see where it goes from there. Sounds good. Could do that for sure. Um, so One With One, um, that I also refer to as my baby on a regular basis, um, is an organization that I started in 2009, and um, the primary focus of the organization was to be able to help people who were blind or visually impaired uh, find their way back in life through using triathlon as a catalyst for change. Um, so we we began as this um, very small, crazy, hodgepodge little organization. Um, I came into doing this knowing next to nothing about triathlon and um, really kind of was inspired by the idea of how can we fix a problem that other people really are not they're not fixing. Mm. And I think the, the ultimate problem that came out of that or the, 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 
the issue that we've constantly been trying to tackle is empowerment. It's exactly that that word that comes down to everything that we talk about within the organization. So I think my way of kind of getting involved in this or, you know, founding the organization comes from a bit of a backstory that um, when I was uh, very little and I grew up in a really small town outside of the Ottawa Valley area, I had a really wonderful friend and uh, she was uh, the yin to my yang, and we were kind of the two outcasts. And you know, I was the the girl that would you know start the protests in school, and she was the one that would be out smoking behind the back trailer type of thing. <laughs> and I just thought she was the coolest person. And we just fit as friends really well. And I, we were also five days apart in age, and it just was this really wonderful um, that childhood friendship that everybody talks about and everybody kind of, you know, reminisces about. And, and, uh, and we stayed close all the way through, um, into adulthood. And, uh, it was about, um, geez, about 10 years ago now. Um, she was, uh, cleaning her stove and she stood up and she went blind and it happened that quickly. And, um, it was caused by something that's uh, it's a very rare disease, um, called ocular histoplasmosis. And what happens is when a, uh, a woman is pregnant, um, if she inhales uh, bird or bat feces, there's a spore that goes into the, to, um, the fetus's um, eyes. And when the eyes are developing, the spores actually start to damage the eyes. And they eventually, what happens is they rupture one day and it causes the eyes to stop to start to bleed. And in order to stop the bleeding, you actually have to place the treatment through the eyes, which is what causes the vision loss. So it's this strange thing that most people have never heard about. And um, this is what happened to her. It was it was her, her life and her reality. And she went from literally the last thing that she saw clearly was the inside of a dirty oven to being this incredibly vibrant, amazing, wonderful woman to losing everything. Uh, she lost her job. She lost all of her confidence, and she was the most confident person I had ever met in my entire life. Um, she had to move back into her family home and have to be supported there. And it was just kind of like that unraveling, you know, like you when you start to watch a, a ball of, of yarn, you know, come across and you don't know how to stop it. And I was angry that I felt that there wasn't anyone there to support her. The system wasn't in place to do something about that. And that suddenly she was identified as no longer as a person, but a label. And that label that got stuck on the front of her head, again, was the, the label that people always seem to get fixated on, which is damaged. And she's not. She wasn't then. She's not now. You know, it, it's never been that case. So um, in my activist way that I, you know, kind of had to do something about it. So I ended up going and working for one of the major organizations in Canada that uh, specifically focuses on um, helping people who are blind or visually impaired through the process of, of vision loss, the transition. And uh, when I was there, I was actually representing a camp in Muskoka. And there was a triathlon that happened there every year that was put on by Joe Finley, uh, the late, great Joe Finley, as I always say. And uh, Joe came to me and he said, you know, hey, kid, I have this crazy idea. I'd like to put some blind athletes into my race. What do you think? And I was like, sure, Joe, sounds great. And, you know, again, meanwhile, knew nothing about triathlon, couldn't even, had to Google it to figure out what it was. Um, 
you know, not, this is not my background at all, but my background was crazy ideas, you know, and how can we make a crazy idea a reality? So through that process with Joe, we ended up recruiting a team of 30 athletes and 30 guides, and we brought them all in to camp and did a four-day training session with them. And then I supported them for a year to come back and do the race the next year. And uh, one thing led to another, and uh, I chose to move on from the organization. And the program started to kind of unravel a bit. So that was, I started getting emails from people saying, you know, like, this meant so much to me. You know, I, I define myself as a different person now because of this. Um, the stories that came out of it, then in the transitions that you saw, the changes in people's lives from having somebody actually say, I believe in you, you can do whatever you want, we'll just figure out a way to do it. It, it just wouldn't leave me. Um, and it became that driving force that it was like, you know, day in, day out, all I thought about was how can we make this continue? How can we grow this? What can we do? And finally, one day I just sat down at my kitchen table and I hashed out on the back of a napkin the plan for one with one. And the next day we were up and running. And I think it's kind of, that's how it came from. And, you know, we're sitting here now, it was 2009 when I did that. And, you know, now we're 2015, almost 16. And we've been going ever since. So that's the power of passion right there. Yes. Yeah, yeah. it's a passion. Absolutely. Passion or a little crazy. I was also saying <laughs> pretty defined at times. But I think yes. they go hand in hand. They do. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So I just want to back up a little bit. Now you're talking about your friend and so this, this, uh, I can't remember the name of the, the eye disease that she had, but it has something to do with inhaling bat feces or something mm -hmm. like that. So does yeah. that mean that it happened in the womb? Like her mother was probably exposed to that and it happened in the womb and it's just something that progresses? It did. Yeah, exactly. That's what happened. Yeah. Okay. Cause it's so, so interesting. You know, when you say that she was cleaning an oven, I think my, my first instinct was that it was probably the oven cleaner that did it. But yeah, it was no, just, it, wasn't. it was just a random occurrence. It just happened in that moment. In that moment. Yeah. Yeah. And there was, uh, there's no way to know about it. There's no testing for it. It's just kind of one of those things. And then in the town that I grew up in, it's actually one of the highest rates, um, for the specific disease of people that are actually affected by it. Um, and, uh, the funny backstory, and actually the one thing I never talk about is, um, my dad actually was a, a very well-known vet and at the time in the town he um, had put together a campaign because he said that we have a serious issue happening in this town with the amount of feces that we're having coming in, especially from pigeons. Um, and it is really is pigeons what it comes down to. And he said, you know, we need to do something about this. And I remember the town saying to him, you know, well, you're crazy. There's nothing's going to happen. And, you know, 30 years later, guess who was right? Hmm. Wow. So that's, I mean, that's shocking. I just, you know, when I first, <clears throat> when you first told me about your organization and I Googled it and I started reading it and I read your story about the catalyst that inspired what you're doing right now, I just found it so shocking. I mean, as, as somebody, I define myself as a real empath and I feel like in some ways it's a blessing and a curse. But the, the blessing part of it is that it helps me to understand others and to be and to really delve deep into the limitlessness of my compassion. And, you know, being an empath, you know, I was thinking, gosh, if that was me, if that was me, how would I feel? And I would feel lost. 
utterly lost. And that's, it sounds like you described that's what happened with your friend, that her life just unraveled. And all of a sudden from being, you know, an able-bodied person, she became a label. Somebody, um, what was the word that you used? She was damaged. Damaged, yeah. Damaged. <laughs> and that is a real, I mean, that just, that upsets me on a really, uh, on a heart level. That upsets me that because we have lost one of our perceptual senses, we've become damaged. So, <clears throat> so then you started this project or you, you, you collaborated on this project and it yes, turned yeah. into, it evolved into one with one. Mm -hmm. And you've realized that like triathlon was really, is really just a metaphor for empowerment. And I'm curious to know, uh, now that you've seen, you know, you've seen, I don't know how many people, how many, you've probably worked with a ton of athletes, I would imagine. We have, we've, I think I've lost count at this point, to be very honest. I think, you know, we're into between guides and athletes and supporters and race organizers that we've worked with. Like we're in the hundreds at this point. Um, and keep in mind that the population, this is a small population we're working with. So we're doing massive work in a very small population. Um, but I, I couldn't even tell you anymore how many people have come through our program. And I'm curious to know if you could just share some of the, the stories that really stand out for you. Some of the yeah. stories of people who have gone from, or who've, who've come from that, that damaged, and I say that in air quotes, that damaged label and how they mm -hmm. have reclaimed their wholeness, their wholeness, despite the fact that they've, they still don't have a vision. Vision are, you know, I mean, wholeness really isn't reliant on our five senses. Yes. Wholeness is reliant on how plugged in we are to our soul. So yeah. I'm, I'm curious if you could just share some of the, 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 the outstanding stories that really stick out for you of people who have reclaimed themselves. Yeah, I think, uh, how long do we have? <laughs> so <laughs> um, for me, the, the reason why like I, I've kept doing this and again, like for we're completely volunteer run. We've, we've always been volunteer run. We, we, and the hours that go into one with one are a full, are full, it's a full-time job, you know, without unfortunately the glamorous salary that comes along with it. Um, but we, we're very connected with the people we work with. And a lot of the people that we are, we have on our, our team or part of our community, our family have been with us since the beginning. And, We've Terry Gardner would be a story that I would share. Um, Terry was uh, Terry lives in Newfoundland, and he was your everyday guy who you know got up every day, and he had a very high stress job. Uh, he worked in shipping freight forwarding, and uh, was kind of reaching the point of his life where he was near the end, where he was ready to retire, and he had everything taken care of, and he was going to have a you know a solid financial future, and he has his two daughters taken care of, and his wife taken care of. And he literally got up to go to work and he stood in front of the bathroom mirror and he was brushing his teeth and he looked up and he couldn't see his reflection in the mirror. He went to bed sighted and woke up blind. And Terry tells the story all the time, he's very open about this, of how he went from being this everyday happy guy who had 
pulled himself up to the top of where he wanted to go in life and was looking over the top of that barrel. And he was like, you know, I'm on my path. I'm almost done. I get to enjoy the rest of my life to spending his days sleeping just to pass the time. And he sunk so far down um, and was in lived in a depression that was so intense for almost, I think he was close to four years before I met him. And we brought, I remember the first time I met Terry and we brought Terry to camp and he was, he was so out of shape and he was so sad. And I think sometimes, you know, when you look at people and you can see the grief in their face, that it changes the tone of your, the, your skin tone, where that when people talk about the at, look of ashen, that it's very true, you know, and Terry, he just was existing like a shadow and there was something about him when I met him that I just found him to be such a remarkably deep person. And there was so much more to him than, again, what he had been dealt and what this label had been given to him and how he was trying to find his way through it. And, I, you know, we, we put him through the paces for sure on that training camp and, you know, kind of walked through and a year later he came back and he represented and he finished that triathlon and he's gone on now to be and terry is a very a very very important person in my life and has become a very important person I'm so much so he actually walked me down the aisle at my wedding like we're very close and he's now become an advocate for people living with vision loss uh he is out helping and reaching out to new people who've lost their sight. He has raced New York City Triathlon five times. He actually finished it on a broken leg. He refused to give up. <laughs> wow. Yeah. And, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, he's that guy that has, like, everything that he was before, he, as he always says, I'm better now because of it. I mean, his story always resonates with me, Of you know, of, of how something so simple as, you know, having someone turn and say, actually, I believe in you. You know, I believe that you're more than just this. I believe you can be more. And let's find a way for you to come back. We're just going to build a path. And we have a lot of those stories. Um, we have a, another athlete, Shelly Ann Morris, that we brought on uh, in, I think, 2010. We recruited her onto the team. And Shelly uh, was born with vision loss and then later in life had a diagnosis of um, ADHD as well. So she kind of has the double the double things to deal with. And she always tells the story about how her life started to fall apart too, of when she, you know, trying to figure out a life with two disabilities and her marriage began to fall apart and she was gained a tremendous amount of weight and was out of shape and just didn't really feel as though she kind of had a direction anymore. And I remember the day that I invited her to, to join the team and Shelly has the most infectious energy that you've ever been around and like you sit in the room with her and you're just like oh like, I just want to live with you like you're so amazing <laughs> and I want to talk to you every day and I you know I, I want to I want to share this passion that you have for everything with more people and she came on and she just transformed the way we were doing things and brought that love and passion and she still will, she always says like she's the person that will stand on the top of a rooftop and scream about how one with one changed her life and how she's so thankful for that. And I mean, the, the simple story that even it comes down to was 
with our within our organization, we're very peer based. So we believe in t transferal of skills. So you know, people know something, you teach someone else something. And when she, the day she learned to use Facebook, I think for Shelly was one of the proudest things that she, you know, and she's won a lot of awards in triathlon since and done a lot of things, but still she always comes down to that because of one with one, I learned to use Facebook and that I can communicate with my team on a regular basis. And she gets to be out there and do all of these things. And uh, a really great story. I'll tell you a funny story and then we'll, we can move on. But Shelly is such an absolute advocate for our work that she does a lot of our interviews for us so she's a spokesperson for the organization and she was racing one day and at the end of the race she was supposed to do a radio interview and um, things weren't going as well in her race as she had wanted to so she was a little bit behind on that so during the 5k as you know it's a swim bike and a run so when she was doing the 5k in the middle of it she pulled out her cell phone and called in to start doing the interview <laughs> in the middle of the race while she was running. <laughs> While she was running, yeah, <laughs> with her guide, yeah. And so, and all of us are on the sidelines. They're like, hang up the phone. And she's like, it's okay, I got it. So she came across, got her award, said her thank yous, and then went off to the sidelines to finish the interview because she just couldn't let the team down. And I always, I love that story because it was one of those moments where you sit there and you think, you talk about people who have they've changed because of the opportunities that were presented to them and they want to pay back. There's the, the best example of that ever in my mind. You know, those stories are so powerful and listeners, they never have the benefit of Skype that I do. They have the benefit of the audio, but I have the benefit of the video and I can see you coming to life telling these stories. So it's really obvious that this is a, a mutual reciprocal relationship that what what you have created and you were providing for these people they're giving back in spades as well because it's feeding your passion I can see that and I can, I can feel that and you know we live in such a visually dominant culture and to to lose vision is a huge oh, wow it would be like Here's the, the empath in me coming out right now, but it would be an identity loss. So it's, that's a lot to grieve. The identity that we once knew as a sighted person, and now we've got to, um, we've got to like reconstruct ourselves basically. I mean, I'm thinking about if I was to lose my sight tomorrow morning and please God know, <laughs> But if I don't was, worry, we're here if you do. So. Okay. Yeah, I, do. I know. I know exactly who to contact. Yeah. But I am. I'm. I'm feeling even more gratitude for the fact that I do have my vision right now, and it's something that I feel like it's so easy to take for granted. All of our sight, our all of our uh, our senses, but vision is the one that I feel dominates the most in our culture. But if I was to wake up tomorrow morning and and not be able to see. I wouldn't know who I was anymore. And so there's a lot of, I can understand the first story that you were told, told about um, the fellow in Newfoundland, the grief that he went through, because there's a lot of grief that comes with a loss of identity. And, and with that, you know, and we, and then again, there's just so many cultural issues with this. So there's the label now you're damaged, but also there's, uh, there's such a cultural stigma around grief 
as well. We're supposed to get on with it. You and I have talked ad nauseum about grief. Yes, yeah. We're supposed to get on with it. We're supposed to wear a happy face. We're not supposed to grieve. But grief is something that never, ever, ever leaves us. Ever, ever, ever. What it does is it transforms us. And what it does, it it being the grief itself, it may soften over time, but it always stays with us. And I feel like that's an asset. I would not want to be a human being that doesn't grieve because if I was a human being that didn't grieve, I would be a human being that didn't love. And and so there's just, there's so much that, like I'm just seeing all of the layers here of of grieving an identity, well, of okay, of an identity loss, of grief, of being labeled as something that, that essentially you're not because your essence still remains the same. There's just a, it's just an exterior physical aspect that's changed. And how sad is it that we live in a culture that does that to someone mm-hmm. else? Mm-hmm. And so what you're doing, I'm, I'm even realizing on a deeper, deeper level, uh, you know, it started off as just something, like you said, really kind of organic and just something that you scribbled on a napkin to something that is really changing lives. It is. And it's, it has, it's changed lives dramatically. And I think the the one piece that people don't understand as well is that it actually changes the lives of the people who come in to guide for us. That there's, there's two people that are affected in this relationship and deeply impacted by ability and by looking at themselves differently and by redefining themselves and understanding what it means to give back. And, you know, there's this really great study that was put out a while back about, you know, the reasons why people volunteer in Canada and that, you know, 54% of Canadians are looking to volunteer for something because they want to change their life. And what we offer is the opportunity not just to change your life, but you can change the life of somebody else while you're doing it. How wonderful is that? How amazing when you talk about, you know, wanting to be a person that's leaving a footprint or a path and you want to be, and we're blessed by the people we work with because, you know, we're, we're very selective in our group um, and we're, we, we recruit and it's very much an invite only. And when you're part of our family, you're part of our family. But we've built this community within that. So it, it, it started with, you know, two people and grew to four and onward and onward. And within that community system that we've put in place, the grief part of it has also been a, a major part of our work. And it's been the working through grief and not just the grief of losing vision or the grief of, you know, I had a bad day type of thing, but the grief of, you know, I've lost my grandmother or, you know, I've been diagnosed with cancer or my mother's been diagnosed with something or there has been such a tremendous building of a safe and supportive community. And that always was, that's what I wanted to see happen. I, I think it was, you know, from my own belief system and a lot of my belief systems are, are in one with one and you know it's, and it's challenging at times because you don't want to be the person that's trying to you know drive something down everyone else's throats but it's also to me important because I think they're belief systems that matter and I think they're belief systems that are missing in many ways from our day-to-day society which is 
I, I judge you not based on how I see you. I judge you based on how you are and your inside, your core, your, how you represent yourself, what your dreams are, what you can give back, what you're afraid of, you know, and how can we work through those things together by putting proper support systems in place so you can be a successful human being. Mm. And success can be defined by a billion things. It's not defined just by money or title or status or all of the things that we seem to think it's defined by. It can be defined by something as simple as, I got out of bed this morning. That's success. And I don't think we take enough time to celebrate things like that. I totally, totally agree with that. And, you know, and it, it sounds like what you've set up is an organization. Oh, my gosh. It's just so powerful. It's it's the word community is something that means so much to me, especially in today's world that seems to be imploding at an accelerated rate where we have separated so much from the natural world, from animals, from each other, and even from ourselves. And community is so critical for reconnecting really to the web of life. I mean, it's huge. Community is huge. So your little, uh, your little, what, what, what shall we call it? Your little microclimate, we'll call it one. Yes. One with yeah. one is a little microclimate, but that little microclimate is a, an integral part of the web of life because you're helping people remember who they are. They are feeling beings who grieve, but you're also being, you're also able to look beyond the physical body, the, the labels, beyond all of that stuff and right into the essence of people. And we all want to be seen. We all want to be heard. We all want to be felt. And the only way that we can do that in our world is if we are in a safe environment where we feel like we can be exactly who we are. Wounds and all, without judgment, without labels, without any of the crap that happens in our world where we have where, where we feel like we have to be something that we're not. And so what you've done is something that's really essential. It's essential in today's world for again, like plugging back into the web of life. Do you even have any idea how big this is? Like, it's really coming to me now. It's like... <laughs> I think that we, we've kind of always, it's interesting because when we talk internally about our work that we've always knew what we were doing. Um, we've just, I personally think, have done a really bad job talking externally about what we're doing. That uh, people get stuck on the whole triathlon aspect of it. So then they think, you know, well, we're a sport-based organization. You know, that's great. Everyone can do that. What's the big deal? And we kind of sit there and say, no, you know, it could have been knitting. You know, it could have been bowling. It could have been, you know, <clears throat> snowshoeing. It, you know, it was a million different. It could have been an, an improv team. It could have been anything that we put together. We chose triathlon as our catalyst. Um, but it's a much bigger purpose that we're focused on. And, oh, uh, yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. And that's really, at least to me, it's really, really apparent. It's you're you're helping people reclaim their lives by seeing them for who they essentially are, not who they physically are, but at their core, at their essence, for seeing them who they are and, and giving them an avenue to remember, to remember who they are. Yeah, I see that triathlon is just a metaphor. Like you said, it could be knitting, it could be anything. It's just the avenue 
the channel that helps people reclaim their lives. And that's what you're doing. You're seeing people for who they are at their core. You're seeing the soul. You're, uh, yeah, I did, an, uh, I did an interview a while back with um, Sean Korn. She's, uh, I don't know if you know her, but she's a well-known yogi. She's done stuff with Oprah and with um, Deepak Chopra. And she's like, she's really well-known. And she told this really powerful story that has stayed with me. And it's, it's something that has been a driver in my life. Anyways, I'm not going to get into the whole story, but the ultimate lesson was look beyond the story and see the soul. <laughs> That's what you're doing. You're looking beyond the story, you're seeing the soul, and you're empowering that soul to remember who they authentically are, regardless of whatever senses have been lost. And I think too, what we're also trying to do is not just remember, but we're also trying to help people learn who they always have been. Wow. That's, yeah. Yeah. I would say that that's, you know, and, and that definitely goes into our guide work that, you know, with, with, we have a lot of people who, um, like our guides to, to us are, our lifeline. We, we could not do what we do without our guides coming in. And we, and we have people who have been with us since 2008 that still guide with us and they, they're phenomenal people and they give their time and their energy and their, their resources and their eyes and their legs and their bodies. And, you know, to try to help one of our athletes, you know, kind of get across a finish line, but it goes so much bigger than that because it, it's the, what it does for somebody at the end of that race, that it's someone who is able-bodied and, you know, it may also be struggling with something, you know, may also be trying to understand what's my purpose in life. You know, why am I here? What can I do? What can I give back? How can I take, you know, my abilities in a sport and do something that's more, more meaningful with it than just saying, you know, yeah, I did another race. I got another medal. Well, you know, what about getting two medals? That's pretty great. You know? Um, so I think that again, I, you know, I, I'll always say it that our guys get lost in our storytelling and I don't want them to be lost because their, their value is equal to the value of the athletes we work with. So whether someone is trying to come back from something or whether someone is trying to find something, those are the things that we're focused on within one with one. Mm-hmm. It's just like the whole, I don't know, the whole vision is just so, it's so expansive. And, you know, I just, um, I'm thinking about this entire podcasting journey for me has been, uh, it's been so inspirational and I've learned so much about myself and about life. And one of the consistent observations that has really struck me is that often the people who are really connected to their purpose in life have discovered it through pain. And mm-hmm. in a pain phobic culture, it's no wonder people say, you know, there's so many articles, five ways to find your life purpose, seven steps to this, you know, to find your life purpose, this kind of stuff. But it's never outside of us. It's always inside of us. And if we were to connect with our pain instead of popping some antidepressant pill or whatever the case may be, you know, having a drink or, or whatever, you know, how we always numb out our pain, if we would just sit with it and let it teach us and let it let it hold us and, and, and take us out. I know in my own life that 
The only reason I'm doing this right now is because I allowed myself to just be destroyed by the pain of the death of my mother. And it was the hardest thing that I had to go through, but it was also the most empowering, powerful gift that now I'm able to give back to others with this podcast. And I'm able to share the voices of others because I have a platform now the, share the voices of others like you. And so this is how we spread the tentacles far and wide. And we, we, from a, we create a new nervous system for this world that is so desperate for a new foundation. So I just find it really curious that you discovered or you connected to one with one, I guess, or it discovered you, it found you <laughs> because of the pain that you, you experienced, uh, going through the loss of your, you know, experience the, the loss with your friend of her vision. And then you're telling all these other stories too, about what, what was the fellow's name from Newfoundland? Terry, 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 and Terry, how, yeah. and how he went through, you know, four years of depression, but then you helped empower him. And now he's empowering others because he mm -hmm. was able to just, he, like, he was like, he overcame his pain. So it's just like, um, it's just a very curious observation for me, uh, about the fact that, pain is a real gateway to purpose. And I'm wondering if, you know, like, so you've got these guides that are working with you and you've got these athletes who are working with you. And as an outsider looking in, what are you noticing about how their lives have changed? Like what is transforming in their own lives? And now that you've created a safe community where they can be more expressive with themselves and where they can connect with their purpose and where they can be more authentic. That's a really heavy question. And um, it's interesting because I do spend a lot of time sitting back and looking in. Um, and I think I've spent a lot of time doing that, first of all, to understand if I'm making the right choices and the things that I'm doing. And, you know, if we if we as an organization are moving toward where we want to be, if we are being authentic to the values that we set up from day one, and if we're still living our purpose through those values. But when I pull myself back out of it and I and I sit and look at, at what has happened, those are the moments that I get very emotional about it. Um, and I'm starting to feel that. I'm like, don't cry now, Jan. And I'm known to be This is a place so, to cry. Yeah, it's okay. So, yes. You wouldn't be the first yeah. person to cry on this show. Even I've done it. So <laughs> yeah. it's all so, good. This is what we want. Yeah. We want that yeah. essence. Yeah. 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 But it's, it, when I, when I look at it and I, and I see it and I, and I look at the individual people who are part of this organization those who are still with us and those who have moved on, you know, because like, you know, we did what they wanted. They, they found their place. We did, that was it. They've gone forward. It's, there's something so deeply, I don't want to use the word satisfying, but I want it like, comforting to know that there are right now, you know, within our current membership, 46 people that are okay. And I know that that's not, you know, you kind of look in like, you know, perceptions of, well, that's not hundreds and thousands of people. And, you know, you're so small and you're doing small work. And I always say, no, we're not. We're doing major work within a small group. And that small group grows. It will continue to grow. And year after year, it gets bigger. And 
And year after year, what I've seen as well is my ability to be able to pull back and watch the group function on their own that they have started to carry the organization the way they want the organization to go. They have started to set up their own rules. They have self-regulated within the organization of talking about the, this matters to me, I don't want this represented. And I wrote a blog a long time ago now about learning to listen. And, you know, being that that person like that, um, you know, that that developed a personality, because I'm, I'm not an A personality by nature, I became that person. And so you kind of, you, you drive all the time, right? When you're, you're at the helm of something, there's this constant feeling you have that you must keep going and you can't stop and don't slow down and just keep moving forward. And sometimes when in the middle of that, I forget to stop and actually say, am I moving in the forward the right, am I on the right path with it? And so that, that blog I wrote a while back, you know, was talking about that, that process that I went through of learning to pull back and we, we had some major failures with one with one. We almost went under twice. You know, we, our funding for us has always been the biggest challenge we've ever had. And, and people think, you know, oh, it's great. It's just triathlon. Why would I give you money? And that's what we've always gone on and said, but it's not just triathlon. It's people. But, you know, we're investing in people. We're not investing in a sport. We're investing in people. And so I think that's when I look in and that's what it is, is that investment in people. So again, that I, what I watch happen are people who have gone out now and returned to school or people who have applied for jobs that they wouldn't have before. People who have the courage to get on a flight and fly from one side of the country to the other side of the country by themselves with their tandem bike. And, you know, people who come to a start line who have gone through so much, both people, people who are vision, visually impaired, but also our sighted guides who've gone through so much just again to be able to figure out how the hell am I getting out the front door this morning? You know, how am I going to do that? Let alone show up on this front, this start line and represent and be present within it and give myself 100% to something and 100% to the person who's tethered to me. We ask a lot. You know, we're not walking in and saying to people, you know, oh, it's all fun. You know, come on in. We'll, you know, we'll push you through. We ask people to come and represent. So we've always said, like, if we're going to give 100 to you, we want 100 back from you. And that is the expectation that's always put forward. So, you know, they're, they're, it's always been, it's mind boggling at times, I think, to sit and look at what we've done and kind of be like, wow, like, how did I go from being this young, stupid idealistic kid to running this organization that has been built with the one of the most incredible boards I've ever worked with in my entire life and the volunteer base that we have and these amazing people who show up and say I trust in you and I carry that with me every day and it's uh and I'm I'm really blessed and a lot of the t- there's many times I don't feel worthy of it I'll be very honest about that well so now that you've been running this for a few years and (laughs) I just think it's so cool that it started off with a scribble on a napkin and it's built into something that's now morphing into something else which we'll get into in a few minutes but 
What do you see? What do you see as your vision? I, I'm curious. Okay, let's let's talk about the evolution of your vision. When you first started this, what you know, what did what do you feel your vision was, and how has it evolved since then? So quite honestly, the vision was twofold. I think the public facing vision was we just wanted to get people off the couch and out the front door. Um, and I think that, you know, part of the vision too was that um, I wanted to be able to prove to myself as well that we could solve a problem, that there are other ways to solve problems. And uh, I mean, it started as that. It was that that simple, you know. Mm. And, you know, I was never able to do anything for my friend. You know, I could never get her involved. I could never get her to kind of come into our fold and be part of that. But we got all of these other people involved. So I don't think in, I'll ever feel as though um, one was one was successful because I could never bridge that gap. But it was successful for a tremendous amount of other people. And I think that the vision that we're moving forward with from, from here is that we very much based on three principles, which is that, you know, people who are living with vision loss and, and people who aren't um, are often left excluded from things. You know, there there's a greater risk of social isolation and, and that's not okay. It's not okay that we marginalize some people and we accept others. Um, we don't live in high school anymore. You know, it's this, it needs to change. This is ridiculous. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah. So, you know, the vision is to see that stop. Um, the other vision is to see people get healthy in their heads, you know, like to, to find again a way through the grief and the sadness and um, the feeling of not being worthy. Again, regardless of whether you've got the label of damaged or not damaged on you, we're all damaged to a certain degree. You know, it's, it's just who we are. It's, we're human beings. Like no one's perfect. And, you know, but finding a way to be able to, to make someone feel as though their imperfections are okay that's great. And then the last thing is really getting people healthy. You know, we have too many people that are dying too young. We have too many people that are not living lives that are um, focused on putting good things into their bodies, um, you know, and not understanding that something as simple as even going for a walk once a day or, you know, or parking your car away from the front of the shopping mall and walking into the front door that right there, like it could be that, that small of a change in your life that will affect everything else. And, and that's where the big vision is right now. And, and I think that with the way that we're moving forward with the organization and with um, some of the, the conversations I think we'll have after this is that within Canada, we we really have three, three organizations that serve people who are blind or visually impaired. And one organization is is for the blind. So there are people there who to serve a specific person for people who are blind. There's another organization that is of the blind. So they're, they're a collective organization of peers and they serve themselves. And then there's the organization that I want us to be, which is a creation of a community of people who are blind and people who are sighted actually bridging that gap between mm. different because we have this crazy belief system in no matter what your cause is. I mean, you can talk about animal welfare, you can talk about human rights, you can talk about anything. And people say, you know, well, unless you are, you don't understand. And that's bullshit. Yeah. And I'll call it bullshit. You know, it's 
It's the, co- the compartmentalization that exactly. actually creates more division. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, completely. And and I want and then I want to see that stop. I think that, you know, especially within the community of people, you know, the, the people with living with vision loss that their sighted people matter. There there's a role, right? And a lot of people who have lost their vision were people that once upon a time had vision. And tomorrow it could be me. It could be you, Deb. It could be one of the listeners on the phone. It's it's you know, it's that easy. So if we walk around excluding everybody and putting them again, like you said, in those little compartments or silos, how are we ever actually fixing a problem? Instead of taking communities and putting them together and creating allies, every single movement that's ever happened in the history of our world has been successful because of the creation of allies. And that is what my vision is. That is so powerful that I have like a shot of goosebumps over my entire body. I totally, totally 100% agree with that. And, and it's something that I feel incredibly passionate about. One of the things that I speak about regularly on this show, I blog about regularly, um, is, is labels. I despise labels. We, we label ourselves based on our imperfections, the groups that we identify with, you know, I'm a vegan, you know, I have a female partner, I have a podcast, but you know what? I'm still, I'm Deb Ozarko. I am me. I am so individual. I am not any of those labels. I am somebody who loves life, period. That's Mm -hmm. it. I am somebody who's passionate about the earth, period. I don't want to call myself a vegan. I don't want to call myself an animal rights activist. I don't want to call myself an environmentalist because then I feel, I feel limited. And I think that that's what you know, that's, it sounds like that's what you're speaking to is that you're trying to just break down all of these barriers, all of these labels, all of these compartments or silos, and just remind people that we're people. Mm-hmm. We're, we're really just all one people, you know, and we look, you look at the crazy things that are happening in the world today after these Paris attacks and all of the division that's coming up right now too, all of the racism that's coming out and all of the really ugly stuff, but then there's also some really great stuff too about, you know, people who are, who are also, the thing about this, these kind of tragedies is that they bring so much duality up. There's so much polarity. So when there's all this racism on one side, there's so many other people who are, who are um, more united with the mindset that you and I subscribe to. We're even more now than ever. We just want to see the end to these labels and all of these you know, all of this, this crap that has kept us in this, what I call the paradigm of separation, where we're just so separate from each other and from everything. When we break down those labels, who are we then? Mm -hmm. You know, I see you, I look into your eyes and I see a beautiful soul who's incredibly passionate and wants to create change in the world. You see me, you see a soul who's incredibly passionate, who wants to create change in the world. We see each other yeah. as something completely different. We just, we see the passion, we see the courage, we see the, the love and, and, and all of it and, and nothing else matters. Mm-hmm. That's the world I want to see too. So I'm really yeah. grateful that you're doing what you're doing. Well, <laughs> and that we're you. talking I'm about grateful this. grateful you are too. <laughs> <laughs> So, okay, so we've talked a little bit about what, what you, where you started, you know, how it's evolved and what your vision 
was and now is. And now I think that this is kind of like a really good uh, segue into where you're going. Because I just had the honor of creating a new logo for you for the Tandem Project. Yes. And the logo that I am so proud of and I love and I cried when we got it, which is a true story. So I saw that and I started crying. Um, so we spent uh, this last year, so 2014, um, we came out of one with one in a, an incredible deficit position. And we sat down at the end of that year and in our AGM and basically put all our cards on the table and said, listen, it's either we shut our doors or we change. We need to do something. Um, and uh, I think for me and truly for everybody else who's who's involved with this organization, shutting the doors was never an option. Um, it was a, a fear. I'll be very honest. That was a terrifying year. So this past year, we went through some really heavy discussions as an organization and we involved our members in those discussions and we wanted to know what are we doing well what are we stinking at what are we doing that we what what aren't we doing that we should be doing and let's relook at our our purpose and how we're presenting ourselves and what we're doing so we did a six months of that and six months of in-depth heavy conversations um ripping apart our souls essentially and the soul of one with one um and for me very much having to again pull myself out of it because it's very emotional and very emotionally driven by this and i've always said that um it, it's it's been it's my purpose in life and i clearly know that so pulling myself back from that and saying you know i have accountability in the failures of what are happening is just as much i have accountability in the successes that are happening and where where am i failing and uh, so we went through the process and it was really identified that we need to be thinking on a bigger scale than we have been thinking. We, I know that sounds very funny to say out loud, but we No, I, you know, I, I, I get this big, I get a big yes party happening in my body. There's a big yes party. It's like, yes, that's what the universe is saying. It's like, you're too small right now. Grow, you're lady. too small. Yeah, too small. <laughs> so, um... So I think, you know, when we can't, I always say we came out of the gates of one with one and we did something that nobody else was doing in Canada at the time. And we scared the hell out of people when we showed up. So I was like, well, you know what, let's do it again. You know, I let's pull ourselves out of the space. This is becoming more common. You know, we we've obviously have solved the problem to a certain degree that we were trying to solve when we initially started one with one. But let's look at the bigger problem, but the problem that really matters more moving forward, which is, again, those three things I spoke about before, which is like, you know, the creating connections, fostering confidence and promoting inclusion. And that's how uh, the Tandem Project came to be. So. One with One has now become a program within the organization, so our tri-team will still remain. Um, we'll still move forward doing what we're doing with our racing and um, having the opportunity to uh, run a team. But the organization as a whole has expanded. Um, we've expanded in our mission. Uh, our mission has actually, while it's expanded, has become even, is very clear, which is we are here to change lives two steps at a time. That's all we're doing. We're focused on that. So it's bringing together the sighted and the blind to be able to solve a problem. And again, bridging that gap between siloed communities and 
that that has to happen. You know, we need to start having these conversations about that. We need to start actually looking at, you know, why are we living in a country where people with vision loss have a higher level of education than people who are sighted and they have the lowest unemployment rate of any disability in this country? Like, why are we looking again at people who with vision loss who are dying prematurely more than any other form of disability? You know, why, why are we continuing to have not understand that while this community grows and, and it is growing, it's going to continue. Age is a big part of vision loss, that we're not actually putting systems in place to allow people to go gracefully into life and to accept it. You know, and it doesn't mean that acceptance is going to happen overnight. And it doesn't mean that, you know, well, I'm going to wake up and, you know, we found the tandem project and my, you know, everything is great and rosy posy. And I now I know how to function, you know, in my new normal. But if we are providing the opportunity for someone to be at least able to explore a new normal, mm. then that's great. And that's what we're really focused on doing. And that's where we want to be going with the organization. So do you feel like uh, now that we've spoken about the vision for one with one, do you feel like your your vision has expanded even more with the tandem project with where you want to go? It has. I definitely would say it has. I think it's always been kind of like the vision that we've had, you know, stuffed under the carpet, you know, with one with one and where we, you know, what we wanted to do. And just we're too scared to go there. And we're still trying to figure things out and try to understand you know, the metrics and trying to get people to understand who we were. I mean, like when we first started showing up at races and people were like, what is this tandem bike doing, you know, racked beside my $25,000 tri-bike? <laughs> and we were like, well, actually the tandem costs more than your tri-bike, just as a heads up. But anyway, but it's, it's been, I think the last six months for me have been so inspiring and so challenging and so raw to try to um, take something that I love so deeply, remove myself from it emotionally, and look at it from the perspective of, I want to know that in 25 years time, we're still here. I want to know that in five years time, we've become the leading organization in Canada that's dealing with this issue. Like I have very strong goals with this and I and big picture thinking and and I know we're going to get there. I think that it's, again, trying to get over the fears, right? Like everything you do in life where you're so driven by passion, you're equally fueled by fear. Like, <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm laughing yeah. only because I get that. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, totally. Yeah, totally. Yeah, so. So I lie in bed at night and I think, you know, yeah, score, we've got this coming, we've got that. And we, you know, last night we had our operational plan approved by the board and it's fantastic. And we've got our two-year plan and we know where we're going. And then I lie there and go, oh my God, I have to be the person that does this. And can I do this? And is everyone going to believe in me when I say this? And are they going to believe in each other? And what if we fail? And it's, The know. voice of the weenie. Yes. That's the way to put it. <laughs> Yes, Weenie like yeah. has no place mm -hmm. in the body of a visionary. That's that's my modus operandi. So whenever Weenie starts to um, come out of the shadows in my own world, I send her back scurrying pretty quickly. Yes, yes. <laughs> well, I ho hopefully. hopefully. <laughs> sometimes it's quick, sometimes it's not. But yeah, I yeah. get that. I yeah. get that. Yeah, as a visionary, 
it's really important to, to, to stay connected to the vision. And isn't it interesting that I'm using this language? What's your vision? And you're a visionary. And, and here you are with this, this organization that's all about vision. There's, vision. It's kind yeah. of, it's interesting. Yeah. So I, I, I want to explore a little bit more about you and who you, like, okay, so this started in 2009. We're almost into 2016. You've had so much growth. You've had some uh, some scary, tumultuous times. And instead of letting those scary, tumultuous times bring you down, instead, you're expanding into something really, it sounds like it's going to be incredible. That takes an amount, like an immense amount of courage. And I'm curious to know, like, I'm, I'm like, here's what, here's this voracious curiosity that I was telling you about. I'm always curious to know what it is that what it is that just keeps driving you and who you feel you have become throughout this time and who you, here's the vision word again, your vision for who you are about to become as you continue to grow. Now, obviously that's kind of future projecting, but I'm curious to know like just your, your own personal evolution through this project and where you see yourself going, knowing that for the most part, it's probably going to be something even bigger. It's interesting you ask that because I actually, I never speak about me within all the work that we've done. Um, it's never been that. And I, you can, you can ask anyone on my team, like they'll say that that's probably one of my biggest faults that I always say that this isn't about me, right? It's about them. Yeah, but I'm not going to let you get away with that here. Yeah, I know you won't. <laughs> <laughs> I managed to get away with it every other time. So. <laughs> I'm a Scorpio. Yes. yes. <laughs> you can um, skirt it, but I'll bring you right back. Yeah. <laughs> So I think, you know, what is it about me that has made me stick with this so long? It really comes down to a promise that I made. And I made a promise in 2008 to, to Joe Finley. Um, and Joe was my mentor. And uh, Joe was, he was one of the most remarkable human beings I had ever met in my entire life. And I said to Joe, like when he came to me and said, you know, like, kid, do you want to be involved in this? And I was like, absolutely. And uh, he said, you know, I know you're looking for a purpose and, you know, I'm going to give you one. But I promised him that I would continue to do it. We, t we walk away so easily from promises in life and especially ones that are hard. And the further I got involved in, like when we first started, we were blind guys try, you know, and then became one with one and now moving into the tandem project. And I've made some pretty big promises to people who they they believe in me and they they've asked me to do things. Isn't that and interesting? I, and isn't that interesting? I just have to interrupt here for a moment. You help others believe in themselves and did you hear what you just said? No. Made some big promises. <laughs> and people believe in you. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I, just, I know. I haven't thought about that before. That's, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, so, and, and I think, so I, it really has come down to, I don't want to let anyone down. And it's going to happen, you know, naturally. You can't always do everything. And I think that I've come to, to try to understand my own limitations. <clears throat> and I would very much say try, because um, I still, I fight that every single day. That, you know, I, I am not limited. I will not be limited by other people's 
thoughts of me or other people's thoughts of what I should be doing or what I shouldn't be doing. And we fought, you know, we fought for, for, you know, a good six years to keep this organization going. And there've been a lot of personal attacks as well that have come through it, you know, where there it's, it's, it's personalized. And I used to get extremely hurt by it. And I think it's no guess that I'm a rather compassionate person, you know, shockingly. So I would internalize a lot of things. And it, it took me a long time in my journey to be able to, to sit down and look at myself and say that what's being said by someone else to me is not a reflection on me necessarily, but a reflection on how someone else is perceiving what I'm doing. Through their own filters, through their own baggage, through their own shit. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and if I'm scaring people that much, I must be doing something right. Yeah. No kidding. And, mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, and so, and that's where it got stuck on is that, you know, if we're going to be, again, I, you, you're always going to come back to fear, right? And every conversation that you and I have always had together is that fear and that grief that we talk about constantly. And so the, the, for my fear has been, and the thing that still keeps me awake at night is the fear of failure and not my failure. This isn't me walking around going, you know, well, I'm trying to build this empire and I want my name to be known and I want everyone to be looking at me like I'm some brilliant executive director and blah, blah, blah. It's the fear that I'm going to fail the people who are looking at me for answers. And that scares the shit out of me every single day. And you know, that's weenie again. Just, I know. Just it's saying. True. But just... I think also in the weenie, it's also authentic to say that, right? Because it's, it's in that where that's where I've learned about myself is embracing that mm. and saying, if I'm so, that, that's the thing that scares me more than anything else, then that's the thing that's going to drive me and moving forward in that constant reevaluating and pivoting and learning to look at one with one in a different way or the tandem project or as. I want to pull us out of charity. I want to pull us right up out of that charity space and set us on top of a mountain where nobody else is doing the work that we're doing. I want to be that pinnacle in the sky that everyone looks at and says, geez, I wish that I was the person who had thought of that and who was bold enough to try that because they're actually doing it. And I get to stand up there and say, told you so. You know? <laughs> okay. Okay. You've just yeah. redefined weenie. She, she has yes. a role. She has, she, does. she, she has, has a, a role. role yeah. You have to prove yeah. her wrong. <laughs> I do. Yeah. We have a lot of conversations in the mirror during the day. So. <laughs> We're driving. That's the other time we talk to each other a lot. So, <laughs> so. but oh. I think, yeah, like what, you know, what I've learned about myself has been, a, it's been a really massive process. Like it's been this incredible process of going through learning to be a lot stronger than I ever thought I could be, um, learning to be more forgiving um, of myself, learning as well that, you know, just it's interesting because I've had it said to me a lot by uh, a lot of people who are really quite close to me that I set a bar that's so high for myself, but then I turn and look at the people around me and I set their bar because of what I believe they can be. And that's terrifying to other people at times. So learning to try to pull back from that. I still know that you can, like I still look at them and say, I know you are made of excellence and you will get there and I know you will, but right now excellence can just be defined as cool or okay. <laughs> you know, we'll drop it a bit. Oh my God, so you and I are so similar. We're yeah. so similar yeah. there. Yeah, I see that in people too. 
I see in others what they don't see in themselves and I hold them accountable to that. And you're yes. right. It scares the shit out of them. Yeah, it does. But yeah. also because of, you know, because of, I, I'm sure that I can easily speak for you, but I'll speak for myself, but because I'm so passionate, they, they eventually buy into that belief themselves. Do you find that as well? Welcome to our organization. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'm ready to yeah. be a board member. <laughs> yes. Come on. on. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it's, uh, it's true. And I think so, you know, like when you ask, you know, what's my big vision, you know, and where, where do I see, not the organization, but where do I see me going within it? And why do I continue to do it? I think that, you know, very clearly defined is my vision for myself is to grow, to become a leader that people can look at and believe in and want to follow but feel respected by every single day. And I think that one of the reasons why I want that so much within myself is because I've been, uh, I've been lucky to have that in mentorship, but I've never been lucky to have that professionally. And I want to be that person that changes that within charity in Canada. <laughs> You've left me speechless. No, yeah. <laughs> that doesn't happen very often. That's, that's, that blows me away. That and there's my trust away. level with you, Deb, because I've never told anybody that except for one other person. And that person is a person I happen to be married to. So I, there's, you know. <laughs> well, this is really awesome because, uh, you, you know, normally I record these podcasts and then I release them, you know, in a few weeks. So right now, this is the exciting part about what I do right now. I am an active listener. And so yeah. when I go through the editing process, I become a passive listener and I cannot wait to get to this part again because I'm going to make notes on this. This is why I do what I do because I yeah. get to be inspired by people like you. Well, thank you. So um, I just, you know, I just a couple more questions. I'm kind of curious now. So you've used triathlon as the avenue for empowerment with one with one. Are you going to continue on with that with the tandem project or do you have like a, a bigger vision for that as well for like different catalyzing avenues for empowerment? Yeah, we do. So um, triathlon for us will still stay as part of our work. Um, that will never go away. That's our backbone. It's who we've been um, and it works. It really does work. Um, but Beyond that, we have new streams that we're going to start introducing, and a lot of the streams are going to be focused again on those three areas. So a long time ago, we had started up um, a Twitter chat that we used to run, and we're bringing that back again. So it'll be the opportunity to, again, um, focus on sharing expertise in areas, in areas where we feel that people's lives need to be made better. Um, we're introducing Google Hangouts, so we'll be doing once a month where we bring a special guest in and we bring our members in and they'll actually be part of that hangout of learning. Again, that, that motivational process of how can I change my thinking and how can I actually be part of sitting and being inspired by somebody. I think, you know, people, people aren't in the world looking for information, they're in the world looking for inspiration. And that's what we want to do is provide that inspiration. I think, you know, that's why your work has always resonated with me so deeply because it's exactly that. Like, you know, when I, you know, 
listen to you and when I talk to you and I read your blogs and everything, I come out of that experience feeling so inspired as well because I'm like, there's somebody else who just gets it on such a bigger level and they've left me with something that I can now put into my day-to-day -day life. And that's what we want to be doing with the Tandem Project as well and just focused on, you know, how can... How can we break down those silos where you don't feel like you're excluded from the world? How can we make you feel like a more confident human being? And how can we get you included in things? So we're releasing a white paper as well for race instructors on how they can actually make their events um, accessible for, for people who are blind. Invite them, you know, get them in there. Um, you know, there's kind of like um, 12 areas, 12 action areas that we're focused on over the next two years, and triathlon just happens to be one of them. So I think it's going to be, again, using what we learned from running one with one, and which is action inspires reaction. Mm. So if we move that forward and we actually say to somebody more than just, you know, well, you're going to be okay, don't you worry about it. Instead, we say, actually, you're allowed to feel the way you're feeling right now. It's a horrible place to be. And we've got 50 people standing behind us who were all there before. Come on in because they're going to help you through it. And so it, it's, you know, I had someone say to me once, they're like, oh, so you're, it's social work you do. And I was like, no, it's not. It's not social work we're doing. It's human work we're doing. And that's what exactly what it is. So it's that, that investment in people that I want to see have happen because we don't spend enough time investing in people. It's so interesting how culturally we really, we just have, we've been so enculturated to have this illusory need to compartmentalize and to label. So it's mm -hmm. this you do, so it's this you do. It's like, no, I do all of it. I, yeah, I, I lead people back to their humanness because yeah. we've we've become dehumanized in our indoctrination into this crap culture that I want to see end. I want to see the end of this culture that has separated us from life and I want to help people, inspire people to remember that we are integral parts of the web of life. And without our reconnection into the, you know, reconnection into the web of life, our fate as a species is, ends with a question mark. Mm -hmm. So, so you and I, like, we're just on such parallel paths doing the work that we're doing. And that's why, I mean, your, your work just resonates so, so deeply with me. And I really want to see the end of labels and barriers and, I mean, I just had a conversation with a friend of mine who, who was saying, you know, I, I, um, she's selling her house and, and getting rid of her, her family property. And she's going to, she and her family are going to buy an RV and they're just going to travel. And I said, oh my God, that's so awesome. And there's, there's a part of me that just that free spirit that just wants to do that as well. And, and then there's another small part of me that wants to just have a small little piece of land and ha build a, you know, like an eco house and have a big garden and everything. But then the bigger part of me doesn't believe in land ownership. I don't believe in that. I believe that the earth belongs to all of us. It shouldn't be compartmentalized, there's that word, and parceled off and sold into bits and pieces. And I think that that, like, that's just a metaphor for this entire mindset that we've adopted for everything in life, including trying to pigeonhole you as a social worker. Mm -hmm. So it's like, 
I don't know. I'm going, I'm going off on one of my soapbox tangents. Here, but... <laughs> all right. I'll join you soon. So, okay. It's all yours now. Yeah, Floor's yeah. yours. <laughs> yes. No, but I do. I, I agree with you. I think that's a, and it's an interesting point, right? That, that, that we have to, we always have to seem to find that again, that label to stick onto something and to, to put it into a box because if it doesn't fit in the box, then there's something wrong with it. And I mean, if you, it, if you look, I mean, one of the greatest metaphors ever is a cat always finds the box it can't fit in, and it makes it work. <laughs> so it's so true. Why? It's, you know, we all need to be more like cats, in my opinion. So just find a box, get in the box. If you break the box open, that's even better. Have a bigger box. So. Or dogs who just run free. Exactly. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. Okay, I have just uh, I, I just uh, another question that just came up for me, and I think this is a really great place to to end. Unless unless you've got anything else you want to add. No, no. I'm All good. right. Okay. Yeah. So I'm so curious. Like I think it's so cool how this whole vision of yours has evolved, and like from a napkin. I mean, like that's just so classic. So just like yeah. scribble it down on a napkin and, and then it's become what it's become. And now it's becoming something even bigger. And I'm curious, what would you say to someone who, who has a dream, who has a dream like this, to, a dream to make a difference, but they don't know where to start? What would you say to that person? What would be like the first, you know, that saying by Lao Tzu, a journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step. What would you say? And it could be a few steps too. It doesn't have to be just a single step. It's no, I'm glad you asked me that because mentorship for me is so incredibly important. And I think I've I've been very lucky to have been asked to come in and speak a lot to um, the next generation of, uh, I consider myself an entrepreneur. That's what I am, right? Like I just did it in the charity world really. And and I think I've always said when I walk in and say, like, what is the thing? The first step is take the thing that scares you the most and do it first. Like that full on, you're going to you because if you can tackle that and you can get over that step that that whether whether that be learning to become a public speaker or whether it's like learning to design a website or you know, asking someone for money or whatever it's going to be the first is the tackle the fear first and then let the fear be the thing that drives you the rest of the time because you can, it's, you'll spend your whole time, either you're going to give into it or you're going to spend the rest of your time trying to outrun it. And if you're outrunning it, you're being successful. So I like, that's always been my, my biggest thing. And I've always said as well, like, and I, I really do believe that when someone is looking and saying, like, I have a passion and I want to change the world or I want to do something. I've always said, don't be afraid to piss people off mm. in the process. Yes. Don't, don't like, don't, don't think you have to play nice. Uh, the people who play nice, this is a reason why we're in the problems we're in. It's because of all of the, everyone's going to play nice about it. Exactly. You know? We need, we need yeah. more chaos, more world-changing chaos. Yeah. Yeah. You in have, a good way. And, and, in a good way. Exactly. Yeah. I think that, you know, and you've, you've said that, like, what I always love about you is like, you know, crush the status quo. And I, and I believe in that so strongly that if you, if you continue to walk around thinking, well, if I rock the boat or if I step off the middle line a little bit, you know, 
I, I won't be successful. And again, it goes back to how you define success. And I've always said that, that there's a great old cliche that the only thing you're ever going to find in the middle of a road is a dead squirrel. So don't walk the middle of the road, you know, pick a different side, find a different way to go around doing it. And then, you know, go back and rescue the squirrel at some point, <laughs> you know, <laughs> or bury him. But it's like, you know, there's, there's a, just just do it and then just get out there and try something and f- allow yourself to fail a million times because every failure is actually a success and I view that very much with one with one where like every single time I fell flat on my face doing this it wasn't a failure it was success because if I hadn't have tried I wouldn't have fallen hmm. so you know you learn from it you dust yourself up you get back up, you kind of say, okay, well, I won't do that again. And then you move forward. <laughs> exactly. So, um, yeah. There's uh, when I studied NLP, neuro linguistic programming, uh, one of the presuppositions was that there's no such thing as failure. There's only feedback. And then yes. there's that, there's that quote. Uh, I can't remember exactly how, ga- how it goes, but I'm gonna have to paraphrase it. It's about Thomas Edison and how he, he, tried like a thousand different ways to create a light bulb and somebody's asked him like you know how do you feel about all those failures and he said they're not failures i just learned a thousand ways not to do it or something like that i know something along those lines it's true but you know when you were saying about find the thing that scares you the most and do that as soon as you said that as a visual person you know as a designer as a visual person i got this image of weenie now listeners won't be able to see that but weenie like going like this trying to hide your big giant soul from coming through like the giant within from coming through and saying no this is what we need to do so it's like weenie is fear weenie is fear weenie weenie is just like it's just trying to keep you safe but safe is status quo safe is the box so yeah fear is definitely a huge indicator of the place that you need to go yeah thank you for sharing that Thank you. Oh, you're welcome, Deb. Thank you for asking me to share. (laughs) (laughs) And thank you. Thank you for spending an hour and a half with me and and sharing your your story and your vision and your passion. And wow, so much more. Like I, as I said, I love doing this because I feel so inspired at the end of it. And I feel, I feel like, um, my my heart chakra has just been blown open. So thank you so much, Jan, for for being a part of this unplugged podcast journey. Well, I appreciate it very much as well. And and you know how much I love and respect you. So this has been lovely just to sit and share time with you. And hopefully at the end of it, I have now convinced you that you want to come guide for us. So. <laughs> I'm a retired triathlete. <laughs> oh, we can bring you back out of retirement. Don't you worry done it before (laughs) thank you thank you well many nuggets of inspiration in this week's podcast ending with really powerful words of incredible wisdom go where the fear blocks you most because that is where your greatest power lies And one of the simplest ways to move through fear is breath. And without fail, without fail, when we feel fear, we're just not breathing properly. I mean, yes, it exists in our minds, 
but we attach to it by not breathing. So when we feel fearful, our breathing actually tends to be shallower, or we also have the tendency to hold our breath more. So just pay attention to this for yourself. And if you're conscious enough to notice, start just by disengaging from the fear by breathing more deeply and notice how things begin to shift within your body and in your mind. And sometimes it's a subtle shift and other times it can be quite dramatic. But I can guarantee that there will be a shift just with breath. So just stay with it until that shift happens. Because fear emerges when we don't feel safe, even from within our own thoughts. But when we don't feel safe, we stop breathing. So that's fear and a lack of safety all go hand in hand. That's, you know, we just don't breathe. So just move through that fear with breath. And that's how you access your power. And like Jan said, just keep out running it. <laughs> Actually, just breathe through it. Breathe through it. It's going to be there with you all the time. And it's going to feel like you're, you're out, you have to outrun it, that it's chasing you down. But I can tell you that, uh, you know that saying, feel the fear and do it anyway. There's so much truth to it. So yeah, just feel the fear and do it anyway. Jan's words of wisdom at the end of this podcast are priceless. And just, yeah, follow them. Go for it. And if you want to connect with Jan or learn more about the work that she does, if you're just curious to know more about our conversation, or if you're curious to know what she does and how she does it, empowering others, you can find her website and her contact information in the show notes on my website at debozarco.com backslash 91. And I have to say that I really feel like 2016 is going to be a powerful year. I know that I hinted hinted at it. Well, I didn't really hint at it. I actually just blurted it out <laughs> at the beginning of this podcast. So I'm going to blurt it out again, just to sandwich it at the end of this podcast. I really, really feel like it's going to be a powerful year. And what that means is anyone's guess, but I know that in my own life, I've got so many exciting consciousness expanding projects underway, including two new websites, which are going to be collaborative empowerment and leadership efforts with, um, with some people who... Wow, I am just so deeply connected with and we're in the it's still in the brainstorming process, but I know that with the acceleration that is happening already this year that it's going to probably happen a lot quicker than I thought. So, yeah, be um be prepared for far more to come from Devil's Arco and others. And also there's going to be many more books to come. Uh so if you're curious about what's going to be offered this year to make for a better world, a kinder world, a more compassionate world, a world that is in balance with the the feminine and the masculine so that we're not just running on ruins, <laughs> the patriarchal ruins of this crazy culture that's hurting us all, then I encourage you to sign up for my email list and join the thousands of others who are part of the status quo crushing community. And remember to pre-order your copy of Unplug on Amazon, Kobo, or iBooks and spread the word about this podcast with your family, friends, and coworkers. Let's just all spread the word for a kinder, more compassionate, passionate, and authentic world for all. And that's it. The end of yet another Unplug podcast. The end of the first Unplug podcast for 2016. 
May we continue to open our hearts on our evolutionary journey of awakening to the point where our heads can no longer make sense of it all. Thank you for listening to this inaugural podcast for 2016. Thank you so much. Remember, live with passion, live with purpose, change the world. <laughs>